Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host, but you've got to be kidding me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, and Liam will do bits and whatnot. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. So Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate for July 25th, 2023. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast feed or our own dedicated Open the Voice Gate feed on all our podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you would like to donate to the show, click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com landing site. You, you click the one little red box as a sponsor's podcast, and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but we would like to thank all of our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Mike Spears, joining alongside, as always, your other host, Case Slow. And Case, we're almost through it. We are almost through King of Gate 2023. How are you feeling right now? Just in general. Re- not even I, about the time. Oh, just in general. I'm... I'm- I'm I'm well. I had a good weekend. It's it's very hot outside, which I like. I've got some baseball on in the background. I you know I I certainly can't complain about a lot of things right now for for my own scale, which is you know I have low standards of what to expect out of life, but nevertheless the scale is on the right side of things right now. Things are going okay. How are you, Mike? Unrelated to Dragon Gate, you know, uh, we are through the heat dome. Which was when Texas decides when when 105 is not enough that that that's when he gets to 110 108 and they call it the heat dome. So I it, it, it's something that I I know I've been going on about this for weeks, but like no, you, it's you 110 just, degrees. I look, I have it's a pet peeve. I, I have a pet peeve as somebody who works in the audio industry about people talking about the weather on their forms of audio, but when it's an event, when it's a hundred plus, you get the right to talk about it. But it, it, it's just adaptation, what it boils down to, at least at this juncture for me. Uh, it, I'll say it's completely destroyed our, our garden. Like, uh, it's not that we're trying to be homesteaders over here, but we just decided we wanted to grow some flowers, some vegetables, you know, just having well, a garden. What are the veggies you're working with? Uh, right now, it's uh, I guess you, that you were working with. Yeah, we're... we're uh, 
we we have a elevated planter that has uh 10 or 12 uh, tomato uh stalks and then uh, a couple of other planters with squash and cucumber but it's just one of those things that like you put uv blankets or there's like sheeting that can help protect a little bit of that and you start off with things that are supposed to like it, it doesn't work on the spf scale but it's like 50 percent reduction and it's just like a, this white cloth and it's like oh okay i could see the sun goes through it no no doc we're up to 98 percent. this this thing i have seen be used as like theater scrims it is that heavy of a thing that's like sun's not supposed to get through this and then i look at the plants i'm like is this actually helping or cooking them and allegedly it's not but our plants it, it, it's rough out there but uh we're getting ready for the fall planting the, the fall is going to be the real rollout and we have a lot of stuff going for that what, what's in store for fall well a, a lot of gourds i mean first okay. and foremost okay. i mean uh we have uh various uh squashes and i like uh, squash that's that's a good one. i was afraid you were gonna say green beans that that is that is the worst food there is i've never enjoyed a bite of a green bean you know it's it, i was exposed to a lot of growing of green beans and canning and jarring green beans as a kid that like what whatever opinion i had of green beans was pretty much like forced out of me by like the third straight week that i would smell my grandmother preparing uh uh green beans for yeah it's such like it's such an old person food if you're young and you like green beans that's weird they're awful i hate the texture i hate the smell i don't even like the way they look that like you know look unsurprisingly not a big vegetable guy but (laughs) but there's something like you know i'll i can eat a lot of things i don't mind i'm not a picky eater but oh i can't I really can't eat green beans. That's kind of one of the few, like, I have to refuse that if it's offered. I, I don't want it even. Uh, they're terrible. The canned ones are bad. The the homegrown ones are bad. It's all awful. That's a terrible food. It's something that I think that I, I don't know if it's just like changing cultural tastes or whatever changes in school lunches. I feel like, though, that green beans, by and large, we are leaving the era of green beans just because I, I think that you're right. It's such like a, but like an old person food that like the only time that I remember like actively having green beans on my plate and you, you know, I'm a, I, I'm a bit older, but the only time I ever remember seeing those were school lunches. That's it. I don't think they're even going to be in school lunches much longer. No, I'd love to know what a, like a modern cafeteria school lunch is like, cause even now it's, you know, I graduated high school what six years ago so it's it's been a while for me and i felt like i was on the cusp of a generational change where i think technology in high school is so much different than when i was there and i would imagine the lunches are different i mean i i'm younger than you i lived through michelle obama making school lunches air quotes healthy and in central indiana the vitriol and the hatred for that harlot that came with it you know all of a sudden we couldn't have you know, potato chips and fried chicken and a soda for lunch. We had to mix in something green. And there are a lot of muttering teachers you know, for, for communism. For Michelle Obama can't have what I want for school lunch anymore. A lot of that. But I would imagine it's gone up even a, another level. Yeah. And even like I, I would have to imagine that that these are the weird things that I, I lay awake at night tossing and turning and I can't sleep. So I think about these kind of things. I, I, I have to imagine that the school cafeteria over like the last 25 years is so like 
different from what it used to be where i imagine like 80s early 90s a lot of deep fryers in there so like you'd be getting the chicken nugs you'd be getting the fries and stuff like that i i wonder like what does the uh, cafeteria kitchen look like nowadays because like that there has to be like these massive corporations doing just like massive meal prep like what do they have just a whole bunch of microwaves to heat up like the uh accredited meals yeah, I, I think it's like like Gordon Food Services is one, and I would imagine they just provide so much. I mean, we can you know we can blame this on Michelle Obama, we can blame this on Morgan Spurlock, you know, whoever else exposed school cafeterias for being unhealthy. It's it's their fault. It's a damn shame. Hey, the the, the biggest thing was at least growing up was my school on Fridays got Chicken Express. I don't know how they got it, but they got fast food fried chicken, and that was like everyone looked forward to to oh, Chicken really? Express that. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That 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 was, it, it, and it was something that like going back, going Chicken Express now, like twenty five years later, and I'm just like, oh my god, how did my heart not already clog to that? Is Chicken like, Express the name of the restaurant? Yes, yes. Okay, it is we, don't, we, don't, we don't have that where where I'm from. Nah, nah, nah. That's regional. It used to be at the old uh, ballpark. Uh, the Texas bullpen would have a giant Chicken Express sign. It was like this giant yellow and red chicken that was always cracked me up. We have at this point. I'm I'm excited because Raising Canes is moving northbound very very quickly. So there's there's now a few in the Chicagoland area, which is great. Uh, I'm still holding out hope that in my lifetime, you know, in this feeble life that we live, that a Whataburger comes to downtown Chicago. That would Man. Uh, simultaneously be both very good and very bad for me. It. There are a few things that hit the spot more than Whataburger oh, breakfast, I just, man. I it's the, uh, the the spicy ketchup. I like the way the drinks are curated. I like everything on the menu. As someone that that vacationed in the South a lot, to me that was the vacation was not setting foot on the beach in Gulf Shores, Alabama, but rather the drive through on the way to the trip. That's really that's what it came down to for me. A n- nice Texas toast. It's just it's as good as it gets. It's a professional operation. Hey, any place that they're willing to put a hash brown stick inside of your breakfast burrito is a place that you're probably better off going to at the end of the day. Have you um have you had Shaq's Big Chicken? I uh, I've never. It, are we talking about Shaq as in Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal? O'Neal? Yes. Just a re- reasonable question. I did spring that on you out of nowhere. I am talking yeah. about Shaquille O'Neal in his fast food chain, otherwise known as Shaq's Big Chicken. I have just now gone to their website. It looks like PDQ, basically. Uh, yeah. So one just opened up by O'Hare here. So if you're flying in for All Out, go to Shaq's Big Chicken. I, I went there the weekend it opened. It's it's ungodly expensive for what is supposed to be fast food, but I was not complaining by the time I finished my meal. It is uh, Shaq has done wonders with that establishment. I am right now looking at the locations. If you are going to the UBS arena on Long Island, you can get the Islander, which looks like that it's a chicken sandwich on marble rye. Okay. All right. I'm listening. Yeah. yeah. I might have Aaron Taub go pick me up one of those and mail it to me. I know he doesn't live in Long Island, but he's the first New Yorker I thought of. He's not nicknamed Big Treat for no reason. (laughs) No, famously. Famously Big (laughs) Treat. I definitely knew that was his nickname. (laughs) (laughs) Should we? We're ten minutes in. Let, let, let's talk King of Gate, I guess. Yeah, let's. I look. I I'm fired up. I we had two Dragon Gate shows to watch this week, and a a Kobe show from the Kobe Art Center, not Kobe Sambo Hall, and 
what we thought was just going to be a YouTube upload from Gifu, the homecoming show for not only Konomami Chikawa, but also Coach Minora and Yuki Oshioka. We knew we would at least get the King of Gate matches from that. We ended up, between YouTube and the Dragon Gate Network, getting the entire show. You have three matches on the YouTube upload, including the Ichikawa homecoming match and the Coach Minora versus Yuki Oshioka King of Gate match. Uh, and then the Dragon Gate Network uh, was there filming, and they have director's cuts available of all of the matches on that show uh, now on the Dragon Gate Network. So we ended up with two full shows this weekend. We're obviously going to spend the brunt of the time talking about King of Gate and the matches that took place there and what's to come, because, spoiler, uh, the Kobe show in particular, a nothing undercard, just nothing really worth mentioning there. The Gifu show, I actually have a lot to say on. That was a ton of fun. But we'll we'll focus on King of Gate now. Uh, Mike mentioned at the very top of the podcast that, hey, you know, we're nearing the end of this tournament. Right now, we are uh, approaching the semifinals in Cork and Hall on August 3rd. We know that Coach Menorah is going to be involved on the left side of the bracket. And on the right side of the bracket, we know it's going to be Big Boss Shimizu and the current Open the Dreamgate champion, Madoka Kakuta. The only thing we don't know is whether or not it'll be Hyo or Dragon Daya wrestling Menorah. That match will be decided on July 29th. So with all of that in mind, Mike, who was your MVP of King of Gate thus far? So it it's an interesting tournament to kind of pick one person because it, I feel like that this year versus last year or 2021, this is a year where it feels like that you have the overlining uh, storyline with Shimizu, get all of his matches being network and the lead up and how he's been going through it. But it, it, it's not always him that I feel like I'm being drawn towards in this, but I took stock where we're at a place. There's only four more tournament matches. We can do this now. It's hard for me not to pick someone other than Shimizu to be uh, the uh, by the MVP of Kinky at this time, even with the fact that that he does not have my match at the tournament at all. He he's on the other side of the bracket from that. But I just with the Skywalker match and how everything like and the condo match happened this weekend, a really brilliant Shuji condo match. It's really hard to kind of take us up back. Oh no, he didn't have condo. He had Susumu Yokosuka. What am I thinking? He, well, this well, both match. matches were very good. Spoiler, I, I know I, not everybody uh, necessarily feels the same way that I do about the match quality of the King of Game matches on the Kobe show, but I love both of them. But Shimizu wrestled Susumu, uh, who made it to the quarterfinals without actually wrestling a match. And he tried to get out of the quarterfinals without wrestling a match also. <laughs> what a brilliant that, wrestler. That, that, that cracked me up, but I think it has to be Shimizu. It really does. He's been the focus of the tournament, and when it's come to it, and more often than not, I, a uh, spoiler, I went four on the the uh, Susumu match with him. I was uh, four and uh, looking over towards. I, I'm flipping through my notebook right here. I should have had it, this all prepared for me ahead of time. Four and a quarter for him versus Shun Skywalker, and it's something where like he was put in the position to have a lot of these showcase matches and. It's kind of hard to walk away without like the overwhelming thought that this tournament has been about Big Boss Shimizu. They've done a marvelous job here, and he he would be my go-to as well. Even with the Konda match that wasn't spectacular, you know, you you could certainly make the argument that Kakuta between the Masaki Mochizuki match. 
that he had to kick off the tournament. Obviously, the Shuji Kondo match this past weekend in Kobe, which, uh, you know, it seems like there was mixed opinions on, but I really liked it. And then you flash back to the second round match uh, against y- Yoshida, which you really liked, even though I didn't. Uh, there's there's an argument to be made that Kakuta is the guy that, that could be the MVP. Remind me real quick. So Yoshioka, he did... He did Kamei and then Dragon Kid and then Minora. So you can make the argument for Yoshioka as well. You know, shocking. The D-Courage guys are in the mix. What else is new? But Shimizu had such a dominant performance in Korokin against Shun, a a real sort of head-turning match, because I've said, and we're going to talk about Shimizu in the present. We're also going to talk about Shimizu in the past in just a second. You know, I've said for years, people don't understand how good this guy is. We saw glimpses of it 2014, 2015, 2016, where it seemed like, oddly enough, given the current state of things in the Reiwa 6, you know, Shimizu was going to be one of these pillars going forward. And for whatever reason, it didn't end up happening. He became second fiddle to whoever he was with. Uh, You know, a a great supporting member, never the lead. I I think through all of that, he's now found himself firmly entrenched as an upper mid-carder, which is a good position to be in. It's valuable to the company to have a guy like Shimizu to where he can beat you and it won't, hurt the wrestler he beats but if you beat shimizu it means something that's kind of a golden opportunity to have uh, on the roster and shimizu had the great match against skywalker he had the purposeful match against Kanda, and then he had what i thought was just a a great great not my match at the tournament but i would say a top three match of king of gate with susumu i was higher on it than you we'll talk about my ratings in just a minute let me throw a thought experiment at you here and there's nothing i can do to live out this alternate timeline. You know, I I don't know if this discussion will go somewhere. I don't know if you'll react to it and we'll move on. But I was watching Shimizu this week, and I was watching him versus Susumu, a match that, again, I just, I thought was brilliant. It was a great showcase for Susumu and how good he can still be. It's the Shimizu that I've always wanted out of Shimizu. Just a lot of things about that match made me happy. And I started thinking about his career and how we got here. And I started thinking about what I feel like was a real fork in the road moment for him in this promotion, which was the dissolution of Monster Express. This goes back to 2016. Obviously, this was a unit that was Tozawa and Shingo and Uha and Yoshino and Sachihoko Boy. And then Shingo turns and Uha leaves. And you you end up with this weird second act where Shimizu and T-Hawk find their way into this unit. They find their way into titles in this unit. But, Mike, is it a fair assessment that Shimizu and T-Hawk never fully fit in with Monster Express? Shimizu did more because he felt like an active comp- uh, participant. You could have replaced T-Hawk with a cardboard stand-up of T-Hawk, and it would have felt more coherent with the unit. Funny you phrase it like that, because I started thinking about, you know, the end of the unit. How does it end? Well, T-Hawk turns on Monster Express— that's when he joins Verzerk. Verzerk shortly after becomes Antios. T Hawk and Ata, you know, the, I, you know, sorry to swear so early in the show, but, you know, the fucking T Hawk Yamato world main event that sucked, you know, just all, all of this stuff that, that wasn't a lot of fun. And all I'm at, you know, does this tickle your fancy, this, this thought experiment that I had, where if at the end of 2016, at the end of Monster Express, it's not T-Hawk who goes heel, but it's Shimizu. And Shimizu gets the same heel, uh, the same push, the same heel turn that T-Hawk got, but you're yeah. now looking at a, a Berserk unit that is Shingo and 
Shimizu and Doi and Yashi and Cyber Kong. And, you know, hypothetically, the World 2017 main event is a rematch from the 2016 King of Gate finals. It's Yamato versus Shimizu instead of Yamato versus T-Hawk. Does the thought of that just excite you? I think it's a lot more interesting than reality at the very least. I mean, that T-Hawk post Monster Express run, like, the, the, they might as well ship him away from Shanghai, ship him to Shanghai a year early. Like, it, he was that DOA with it. Whereas with Shimizu, like, at that time, Shimizu would have been at, really at the point where it would have been appropriate for him to do that heel turn then. And it's just something that I think that you, maybe not the seasoning that would happen later, but I think if you have a Berserk that he's entering into in that place versus a Berserk six months later, I think that Foster is his, develop his development just at the very least because you have him in a heel unit that you already have the greatest power fighter in the history in the promotion leading. You have one of the greatest uh, mic workers in the history of the promotion as the number two. And then you have other power fighters and, uh, and other character guys that I feel like he would have gotten a lot more out of at that time versus how Berserk looked like in 27. I started thinking as you were talking about that, you know, Shimizu debuts in 2013, bigger Shimizu comes into place in 2014. And I'm going, well, you know, Shimizu is pretty young. Would he have been ready for the moment? And I think one, you just have to immediately settle the score by saying, well, T-Hawk clearly wasn't ready for the moment. You know, he actually, he digressed from, or I guess rather, you know, a uh, uh, decrease no, no, in value. You're right. He, you, he, you, he digressed from 2015 when he headlined versus Yoshino. And even that, you know, I, that I felt like no, a moment. The 2017 the, did not feel like a moment whatsoever. No. The time was then, not 2017. I, look, I, I don't have any problem saying because I, I T-Hawk is up, you know, oddly enough, they're up there with Ata as one of the more interesting wrestlers that you and I will ever cover in our lifetimes. We just, uh, for better or worse, won't come across a lot of T-Hawks in our future. Um, but Probably he was, the best for the industry, yeah. if that's the case. <laughs> but, you know, he's a wrestler that in 2015, I loved him. You know, I, I love that Millennials era T-Hawk. And even by the time that he was headlining that, uh, that, that year of world, some people were already starting to hit the eject button. You know, he had the, the, the stylish re-debut in 2013. He and Ato were so good in 2014. And by 2015, it was a little split. You know, some people were far more into what Ato was doing with Tozawa, and some people were just out on T-Hawk. I was still very much in. By 2017, it, it just, oh my god, it was, it was, it was a rough watch. That, that World 2017 is a bad main event. And so I start looking at what Shimizu did that year, and, you know, 2017, I go back to my match of the year tracking. I have 12 big R Shimizu matches at four stars or higher, including my Drangate match of the year that year, which was him and Mochizuki and Corken Hall on September 5th, which is on the Drangate network if you've never seen it. This was a guy who, you know, would he have established himself with that run as the next Shingo and Drangate would have had this A level heel? No, probably not. But I think it would have been a, a, just as equal of a net positive or if not more, rather, I guess the point I'm making is more, uh, it would have been better for the company than had T-Hawk been in that spot. And then you can get into the sliding glass doors and the, the butterfly effects of what happens if they don't go with that T-Hawk push at that time in that unit. Who knows what happens? We're literally then rewriting history. It's impossible to get into that. But it just feels like we'd all be living a different life if they went with Shimizu in that moment at the end of 2016 instead of T-Hawk. 
Yeah, and I wonder, like, if we're doing full-on sliding doors here, how much of Shimizu being Shimizu will come into play then? Because you look at 2017, and he's still, like, the, the immaturity thing we've talked about ad nauseum. I'm wondering if it was something that in 2017, just uh, it, it was something that, that they it, he would not have been ready, maybe. Like if that would have been thinking and not just like in ring ready, if it was like, Oh, the idea of shouldering a company. And that's where I wonder about the sliding doors of uh, situations flipping King of gate 25th, 2017. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's all about approach there because I, I don't think I, I know this. That's not that I think I know, you know, Shimizu's never been positioned as somebody that would have to shoulder the brunt of this company in the same way that they seemingly wanted to do that with T-Hawk. And he was just a running back who never wanted the ball. You know, he was, oh, what, what if we, what if we pass on this play? Well, I don't need it. You know, whatever. We'll see. I, I don't, I don't get the impression Shimizu would have ever been that guy in right. the same way that they wanted T Hawk to be that guy. That's just an interesting thought experiment to me. Is you know what? Why is that? What is it about Shimizu's presentation that doesn't scream possible ace? Whereas obviously with T Hawk, they tried and failed. I don't know what that is. I just think the tone of the company would have been so drastically different had they gone with Shimizu there. Because as you go back in time, you realize, okay, well, he had the talent. He had the charisma. Shimizu had never been healed before. He was, you know, a tweener in Dia Hearts and then goes from Dia Hearts to Monster, to Monster Express. I don't think there was a, a unit in between there. No, no. So, and Dia Hearts... It was tweener face, like yes. it, and, a, and it, a, it, a good unit, just a just a rock solid unit. Yeah, so it, it it's something like it. I I wonder, and it's going to be a conversation I would like to have after King of Gate with him because I I, I want to take some time to to like think because I'm now coming across this. Why not Shimizu in the past? Like when you said that, I'm like, okay, like what are his uh, strengths, with weaknesses, opportunities, and threats? I'm like, okay, that. That could be a very interesting long-term conversation about that. Yeah, it's it's certainly not talent, and it's not that he wasn't ready because I think he was more on the ball there than T Hawk was. It, it really could come down to the simple question of, okay, if we turn Shimizu heel, what do we do with T Hawk? And you start going through the options there. It's like, well, you know, do you keep him faced? Does T Hawk take over Shimizu's spot in maximum in this alternate reality? Does he become T Jimmy and join up with the Jimmys for the last year of their existence? It really, when you remove the threat of a heel turn from his career at that point, you really start to tug your collar and go, what else could he have done in Dragon Age? <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess I completely forgot about Maximum in the time frame. So you're really expediting Shimizu's heel turn 18 months. Exactly, because yeah. by, by the time... It's it's weird, you know. Maximum, I think we all look at it, look at it as not only a successful unit, but I think if we were ranking the best Dragon units of all time, which we've done, I think Maximum would still be in both of our top tens. But Shimizu was the guy that was not elevated by that unit. You know, it helped Jason Lee. It helped yeah. Ben K. It, it provided runway for Yoshino towards the end of his career, provided runway uh, for Doi towards the end of his career. It was great for Kotoka while he was there. Shimizu is the guy who took a lot of losses, lost a little luster, and then by the time that he turned heel, he wasn't 
oh man, he's going to turn heel and he could headline world. It was, it was different. You know, he was at a different point in his career. He wasn't as hot as he was coming out of monster express because I'll say this, you know, I, I mentioned at the top of this, it's not like T-Hawk and Shimizu really ever fit into Monster Express. They were good. From an in-ring standpoint, you know, they worked. You know, those guys teaming with Yoshino, those guys teaming with T-Hawk, that was a lot of fun. Uh, and it felt like a moment in Shimizu's career where he really could have been elevated had the cards unfolded differently for him. Yeah, no, absolutely so. Uh, the one person I had, at, and the highest I could have, I had three names on my mvp list we've already talked about shimizu and kakuda the one person that i could not make a full-fledged like top three and i ended up giving them an honorable mention is minora i think kota minora's had a fascinating tournament even with the fact that he had to have a punch to monaga match because when you take the punch to monaga match out of the equation for minora match quality wise he's up there look i am so back in on coach minora it's not even funny i mean this guy this is the guy that I loved when he debuted, and I've I've always talked about how Minora was in this weird spot where he was after you know Ben and Skywalker and Yoshioka, and then as history unfolded, he was before Kamei and Kakuta and SP Kento, and so he he represents almost a lost generation, if you will, because it was really just him and OG Shiba at the time. But he got good very fast. We came out of the pandemic. And they really started to put focus behind Menorah. And I was so into this guy. And, you know, through Masquerade, I thought he was great. And then it took me a full year. It literally took me about 365 days to recover from last summer's Coach Menorah debacle, as we've dubbed it. And now I am so back in. I think the haircut looks great. I think he looks, he looks invigorated. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just the passing of time easing uh, his wounds, if you will. But he's wrestling with a lightness to him that was not there three months ago, six months ago, certainly not nine months ago or a year ago. Yeah, and it's something where I you, you look at it, and I think it is a confidence thing because in a lot of ways, he's been one of the people on this roster that keeps on trying things out. Like, how many finishing maneuvers have we had from Kota Menor across his career case? I can name at least four off the top of my head. Like he I'm, is almost, a, I'm almost of the belief that the gimmick is that he keeps on changing finishing maneuvers. Right. So it, it, it's something at the very least, if we treat wrestling as text, our text is that this is a guy who, you know, fluctuates a lot just because, I mean, uh, Bevel Gear, Gong, R301, Ingranaje, now Golden Rose, that's five finishers just off the top of my head. But... The, that is something where maybe he has like over the few months and with how gold class has evolved. Like, I mean, you take a look at where gold class was on July 25th, 2022 and where it is now it's completely different. It's, and we've talked about that a lot about how gold class feels reinvigorated, how Binke really was the thing that when you add him with Minorita, there's your special sauce there. You have Hulkin, not necessarily like a, a Yazushi Kanda 2023 like role, but an appropriate place for for Hulk at this juncture of his career. And you look around and suddenly you have an awesome infrastructure for someone like Kota Minora to thrive, where he didn't have that last year. He had a unit that they couldn't tell if it was face or heel, that there was a mascot character, and that the guy that was supposed to be the other young up-and-comer in the unit was shooting his own angles. 
I think that 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 the last year, like this wilderness wandering, this us casting him aside for 365 days, I think that taking that time, redefining gold class, and being the tinkerer that he is, finding something like Golden Rose, I don't know if that's going to be his permanent finisher, but it does feel more like a finisher than R301 does, at least when you look at it. It feels like more of a thing that he could pull out than the gong with its setup there. I think what we've seen over the last 365 days it is not necessarily like a reinvention of Kota Menor, but I think we've we've seen an environment now that could foster his creativity, and now that he's able to now look and you go into Gifu, and he has an astounding match with Yuki Oshioka in his hometown. He was the more over guy in his hometown against the guy who's been the main character of this company for the last 18 months. And you, you have to take a step back and then you go like, wow, are we certain that Kota Minora isn't the MVP of this tournament? Because you take that one punch to Managa match outside of it. I mean, the, the match he had in Osaka with Naruki Doi is still my match of the tournament. And you had that Yuki Yoshioka and that's two out of three matches that are going to end up at my end of the tournament top five list. Yeah, as I look at it now, Shimizu has my top two matches of the tournament. I would go Skywalker 1 and Susumu 2. And then third place, I would still have Kakuta versus Mochi. But if you're if you're that high on the Doi match, then it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, we had people in the Voices of Wrestling Discord saying that Minora versus Yoshioka was their match of the tournament. And although I'm not there, I certainly understand the fervor behind it. I get it. The match was awesome. You know, I, I watched the network feed of it. And I'm looking forward to checking out the YouTube feed, the handheld cam on the floor, just to see if the match strikes me in any sort of different way. Uh, you bring up some interesting things here with Minora. It's it's dawning on me now. One, I think there's two points I want to make here. He's very similar to Ata. You know, Ata was this this hot young prodigy. It seemed like the company knew they had something with him. I think you could compare Minora's time in Masquerade and even you know Team Dragon Gate and the Generational Warfare to Ata as a millennial, Ata in the J Cup, Ata versus you know Tozawa and Susumu, and then he failed the first time they put him in a main event. And although not everybody might agree with me, I just I detested the Ata versus Dragon Kid feud from 2018 so much that I chalked that up as a failure, uh, not in the dramatic way that I would say Minora's main event, you know, spree last year, that little frolic into the main event scene that destroyed everything. It, it wasn't as catastrophic as that, but I, I didn't like either of them. I, th- I thought those angles for those respective men set them back. And then Ata, I felt, was rescued by Pac coming in. And now I feel like Minora was rescued by Ben coming into his unit. And they were able to rehabilitate themselves, play second fiddle for a little bit, the thing with Minora, this is the second point. I do feel like he's in a dangerous position where if he continues to be elevated, whether it's this King of Gate win or it's a year from now at World or whatever it may be, if that landing doesn't stick, if he once again slides down the favorable mountain, and it's a lot of pressure to put on a guy who's not yet 30, that's going to be tough to come back from. To have two yeah. of those sort of public facing like, ooh, that didn't work in a way that we all sort of, you know, scratch our neck and pretend we didn't see it. That is, that is going to be a really hard thing to overcome from a public perception. So 
He's he's crushing it right now. I love the guy. I love the direction of him. I I maintain worried just for the stakes that are going to be pointed in his direction. Yeah, because we just like if you're looking for evidence or why we should have this evidence, well, just roll, just rewind the podcast back 15 minutes. <laughs> I mean, because you look at it and not to be harping on the guy, but like another failure, and that's pretty much up with T Hawk. He's up there. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 a very dangerous place to be in. But I, I I can't I can't sit here and go no no. There's no comparison there. No, of course not. No, I you know it, it's it's not there, but it's certainly a possibility. You know, if he's in another bad world main event, and I, I said this on the podcast at the beginning of the month. You know, Rio Saito has been in control long enough now to where we know his quirks as a booker. And one of his quirks is that history has now shown. He gets cutesy with the Dreamgate belt on the biggest show of the year. It's a fatal flaw. It's not one I would recommend if you're trying to book a promotion. He has gotten cutesy with the Dreamgate belt in June and July. And if he's not careful and they put Minora back in that position, it could be the death of Coach Minora. Yeah. And if you're a listener and you're going like, oh, I don't know if it's fair to still draw that conclusion up. How many people have we have come across a dragon system in its near twenty five year history, and they've done this and failed? Like that, the, there's reason to have good hesitation there with it. But I still think he's had such a uh, affirming. I think is the way, way I would put it. Just, just like seeing him, and I think also getting the home cooking of Kifu helped out in that way. It was hard for me not to at least just think that Kota Minor merited a little bit of mention here uh did you have any other mvp shots you wanted to touch on no i really like what shimizu's doing i really like yoshioka what, what his output was i think kakuta has been great and we'll we'll get shimizu versus kakuta and Korkin. you mentioned minora i mean look this has been a very good tournament i, I was not high on kakuta versus yoshida but as i look through the bracket here i mean you know K- kakuta versus yoshida kind of was what it was Fuji versus Yamato kind of was what it was. Everything else has been a lot of fun. You know, it's very easy, I think, to to cast judgment on this tournament if you're not watching it, if you're just waiting for a truckload of four and a half star matches to roll through like it was in 2016 when the tournament was a different format. I could very easily see you being all grumpy and crossing your arms and go, wow, it's not, not the Dragon Gate that I love. You know, King of Gate used to be like the G1. And it's it's not that tournament this year. But if you're watching every match like I am, like you are, like a lot of our listeners are, I'm following the stories that they're telling. I'm enjoying the matches. And there still is that high-end stuff. You know, there is Shimizu versus Skywalker and Shimizu versus Susumu, which I want to talk about in just a second. And, you know, a match like Minora versus Yoshioka from this weekend as well. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We hype ourselves up thinking, ah, maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy Slab Packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club Slab Pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous 
brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you, you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying oh, hey look at some random cards or whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off again that's arena club.com slash vow net arena club.com slash vow net for 10 percent off your first purchase on arena club and we thank them for sponsoring the voices of wrestling podcast network what's going on guys this is rich from the flagship podcast here on the voices of wrestling podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. The Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out. Uh, passcode unlocking and remote control with the 2K clear sight. See who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service. Eufy's got you handled as well. They are on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed 
by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys, reach in my pocket, or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second. Door is unlocked. Much, much easier. So if you want to jump on board with Eufy Video Lock, search Eufy Video Lock. That is E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Again, that's Eufy Video Lock, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door. Yeah, so before we get into the matches themselves, let's just touch real quick on attendance. There's only two shows to talk about this week, uh, the Art Center and Gifu. We had 408 in the Kobe Art Center. This is not the regular venue, and this was the one where I really started to get to see Jay's point about it as a venue. But Gifu, 596, super no vacancy, sellout, full house for their triple homecoming show 596 again that attendance and gifu like case okay, so when i was going through this notes and getting things prepared gifu is such a interesting and difficult city to kind of like determine what really draws there because when you go through uh past shows that run in gifu case what do you discover very quickly uh that stardom runs there every once in a while and then it's the micro indies of the micro indies yeah, so Dragon Gate uh, 596, basically the exact same number that they drew in this building in 2019, before COVID. Yeah, so let me let me talk about attendances here real quick. Just to back up to Kobe, like you said, they did 408. That is up from 271 in the same building at the beginning of the month, which is, which is a nice bit of growth there. And then like you said, super no vacancy, full house, 596 spectators in the Jiroku Plaza in Gifu. They run two different buildings here. They have not run this specific building since 2019. And you were saying that showed it's 621 fans. We went through this card last week. Main event, Eita, Hyo, Kazuma Sakamoto, and Diamante versus Ryo Saito, Stalker Ichikawa, Ultimo Dragon, and Yasushi Kanda. They ran this building twice in 2019. That aforementioned show was October 26th. They also ran it on March 31st of that year. That show, which was headlined by Ben K, Big R, Shimizu, and Eita versus Coach Minora, Yuki Oshioka, and Shun Skywalker, that show did 528 fans. So they are up from one 2019 number and essentially flat at the very least. They hit the number of tickets they could sell in the building in 2023 with the other show. This is a weekend to... Pat yourselves on the back if you're Drangate and celebrate if you're a fan of Drangate. Two very good houses here. Yeah, and like the situation with Gifu, I think like this is the Dragon Gate goes where other places don't go. Uh, venues and all of that, like it, it is kind of a supernova that you have two of the biggest stars in your promotion being from one town and then also one of the more endearing stars to come together to make that. So. I don't know other than really the house show circuit and everything business seems to be doing generally up from 
how things were the last time through. It's just, I don't think this is a replicable thing. I think this is a Justin Gifu. We have a lot of guys here, and who knows if there's a building that can that, that can fit more people in. From the looks of it, and from how the industry looks like in Gifu, does not seem likely. Well, there's there's the building that New Japan used to run, and New Japan hasn't been there post pandemic. The last show they ran was a fantastic Mania tour date in 2019, and that's at the Gifu Industrial Hall. They claim 1607 for that show. So there, there is a place you can go that's upward. And, and I really, I started thinking about just the weird state of Japanese wrestling where, you know, okay, let's, let's get really existential here. Walk me through this thought process that I can't fully figure out. We should celebrate that Dragon Gate did 596 Super No Vacancy in this building but is it concerning that they did 596 with two of what should be considered to be their biggest stars i i i think if you look at what that building has drawn and it's and gifu for dragon gate i think you kind of have to accept that this is the hand you're dealt, really. Just because of, like, there's just does not see, like, other than that one building for Fantastica Mania, there is no wrestling industry in this yes, town. Yeah, like, there's no there's no industry. And it's, you know, part of it is, I'm so bugged out on the the fact that the Noah show with Miyohara and Nakajima and then the G1 shows, and this isn't a shot at either of those promotions uh, uh, by any means, but... Those shows are the the G one and this generational matchup are still only doing fourteen hundred fans, and that that's a Corkin thing because Noah announced a sellout like a month ahead of time. And when Noah announced a sellout for that show, I was like, "Oh my god, they did eighteen fifty! This is going to be awesome!" But then it's it's fourteen hundred. It really, I don't I don't know. I'm having a weird sort of attendance, not crisis, but just like. I don't know. Is 596 a good thing? I guess it's better than what they were doing, so we should celebrate it. You know, if this show had different branding, if it was, you know, the gate of whatever the fuck and it was a pay-per-view, okay, well, then they probably run the the building that New Japan did, and I would trust that they would put a thousand more fans in that building, so it would be respectable. Mm-hmm. So I guess I just have to look at the context of it all and accept this show for what it was. Here's something I just discovered right now, Case. Uh, take uh, the, the, There's a pretty famous wrestler who's also from gifu and i think that this kind of puts at least that market in context hiroshi tanahashi is from gifu and you would think that if there was really like the market for it they would want to run his hometown like maybe i'm looking at it from a dragon gate and like that kind of touring mindset but the fact that you know uh that the biggest star of this era or the past era they don't really do like homecoming shows from him when if when it feels like you could easily pack out whatever building you can find in the prefecture it tells you a lot. I feel like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they used to run G one shows here. G one twenty sixteen, he and Goto headlined, but then twenty seventeen, which was the last G one show they ran there, it was Okada and Juice in the main event, Tanahashi on the undercard and a tag match. I think it's even on the show. Yeah, it was him and Taguchi versus uh, the now Master Wato and Kota Ibushi. Fascinating matchup in hindsight. But yeah, I think that's Drangate brain of us going, well, it's his hometown. They should run there. But it's still, I mean, New Japan hasn't been there since 2019. DDT doesn't run there. 
All Japan hasn't been there since 2019. Noah, and this is where I will knock Noah to some degree. I don't know if you've looked at their schedule this year. They don't run shows. And if they do, they're in Tokyo. They have the Kobe number from May that I'm very suspicious of, which I, I know got some people's dander up, but I, I'm sorry. I have a really hard time believing Noah did almost a thousand fans for a nothing show outside of Tokyo. That's just me. But they don't run shows outside of Tokyo ever. They barely run period anymore. That schedule took me aback when I looked at it earlier today. So you have all these promotions where again, you know, stardom runs here every once in a while and they seem to do okay. But this is basically a barren wasteland. And, and the fact that Drangate now has two bankable stars that they can put in this building and again, do 600 fans. I mean, that's more than DDT's done for some Corkin shows this year. That's, that's a, you know, 600 fans of this economy is 600 fans. That's a really good number. I'm back the other way. I was down on this number. Now I'm back on it. Uh, did, did not to hammer a point uh, about Noah, but uh, I, I, if they're not running a lot outside of Tokyo, that tells me they're not having a lot of sold shows or local promoters more so than anything. Yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, they've I was looking at it earlier today. They they've only run like Drangate's run a bunch of shows this year. That's they're they're I don't know if they're up from 2019, but they're very much in the ballpark of like, oh, this is a pretty normal touring schedule they're, they're on a pace you know i know right now uh, i saw a tweet this morning their year over year attendance is up 19 percent, and i would think they're running slightly more shows kind of back to uh, a usual touring schedule pre-pandemic noah as i look at their their cage match here they have only run 37 shows this year and they only had three in July. They had one on the 9th in Tokyo. Uh, they had the show on the 15th, which was the Korkin show with Nakajima and Miyahara, which did exceptionally well. And then a Shinjuku face show five days ago. Like, that's really weird. Yeah, I mean, we're well past halfway through the year and only will they run 100 shows? No, like, I, I, think... I mean, <laughs> no, the in one's only like six dates. Yeah, wow. I didn't didn't know that about Noah until you brought that up. That's I, I, I'm going to talk to some people. I'm going to reach out about that. Uh, did you, do you want to talk about the matches themselves on King of Gate? Yes. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go Kobe and then Gifu. Uh, let's talk about those four matches. Yep. Yeah, uh, we're not going to talk a lot about Kobe outside of the King of Gate matches. If you haven't already surmised that it's that there's one other thing we'll talk about later when we are doing things to remember but there were two uh king of gate matches at kobe art center on the 22nd the first one big boss shimizu versus susumu mochizuki this was susumu mochizuki's first and only appearance of king of gate making it to the quarterfinals without having a second of ring time however susumu goes for a jumbo onto a, a big boss shimizu into the ropes just hammering him with jumbo nokachis but all of a sudden, Big Boss Shimizu goes, no, I'm done with this, and just goes shot put slam, finish of the year. Big Boss Shimizu advances on to Corkin on the third in the semifinals. I went four and a half stars on this. I I was just sort of taken aback by how good both of these guys were individually here. And I, you know, we've talked about Shimizu so much. I guess I can start with Susumo. I I will give them the benefit of the doubt and say that it was a conscious decision to work the match in the way they did. Maybe it was just by happenstance, but watching this match, it felt like watching a guy in Shimizu 
who went through one really hard tournament match and, you know, a match against Kanda wrestling a guy who has no wear and tear from King of Gate. You know, he didn't have to wrestle Diamante. He didn't have to wrestle Ben K. And Susumu came in fresh and Susumu worked with that speed and that fervor, that vigor, if you will, that really made him uh, pop off the screen in a way where Shimizu was trying to catch up with him. And, and certainly for most of the match did not seem to be dominant. Yeah, and I think that was such a smart, like, match format. Like, the idea that Shimizu first goes being an M3K member. He's going, like, oh, I'm going to see if I can get out of this without actually having to wrestle. And then from there, he just focuses precision point on the shoulder and the arm of Shimizu using the fact that he has had much less ring time and build that up there. But at a certain point, you know, Shimizu just was able to overcome it. He teased the shot put slam really early in the match. And it was something that I was like, oh, is, is this how we're going to handle Shimizu for the rest of this tournament? He's going to take everyone's punishment and that's it. No, I really like the fact that they, from there, it was a lot of Susumu going, okay, uh, I'm not going to outpace him. I'm just going to throw everything at him and get out of here and just trust that I'm the fresher man and I have less damage and that I can just, uh, Jumbo no Kachi him to death, and obviously Shimizu thought otherwise. Yeah, I, I, well, the thing that I liked about this match, and it's a, represent, uh, it's a representation of what I like about Susumu, it's a representation of what I like about Shimizu when he's put in positions like this to succeed, and it's really just a, a, a small picture version of what I like about Drangi to begin with. I thought the effort in this match was surreal. Both of these guys worked so hard. I, I, I was just flabbergasted. Susumu Mochizuki, this guy is, what, 47 years old? He is, he's 45, same difference. Give me the break. He's 45 years old. He wrestled so hard in this match. He ran around the ring with such speed. And he hit Shimizu with these lariats that had so much power behind them. I was amazed, amazed at what I saw. And then you look at what Shimizu does. And the, the one thing that I have down specifically that I wanted to mention when it comes to effort is Shimizu gets some momentum, goes to the top rope, goes for the big boss splash. Susumu rolls out of the way. Shimizu does a, a, a shoot belly flop in the center of the ring. And it was just one of those deals. You know, he didn't put his arms up. He didn't roll out of it. He went for broke and took this nasty-looking bump in the middle of the ring, and I respected it. It added just a little bit more to a match where these guys were trying so hard, and I love that in the context of, well, it's a tournament. They should be trying hard. The stakes are raised, but it's also, it's just who these guys are, and it's great to see that, and it should be celebrated. And thinking about that big boss press attempt, I love the fact that you honed in on the fact that sis, uh, that Shimizu just completely took it to the face. He just committed full-hearted to it. I like the fact that that they're, with Susumu Mochizuki, he's someone where, not always, but he's able to emote what he's thinking and through his wrestling. And right as big... Boss Shimizu was getting up there and doing like the Yoshino pose before he did the press. I in the back of my my head, I was like, 
just assume we should see this coming because this was the finish in their twin gate team last year. This was like the, it, it was based around the aided big boss press. So of course he rolled right out of the way. I was like, Oh yeah, of course. Susumu right where I thought he would be on that. Just brilliant stuff. And I think that's kind of the thing about this match that you had the commitment of Shimizu along with like this really fascinating kind of match uh, structure that, was so much like taking stock of what the tournament was about and what led to that point that led it to this. Like I was not as high as you, I was four flat, but it was really remarkable. And especially in a venue where I just, uh, I would rather them skip the months now if they don't have Sambo Hall. I don't care for this art center venue. That's funny. It does. I mean, look, it's not, it doesn't look great. It, it does not bother me though. It, it, it's something where the, it's the sound like it, the, the crowd, like you had 400 people there and they got up for stuff. But I knew if it was like in Sambo Hall with like the lower ceilings, the acoustics would have been much louder. Yeah. Yeah. They, well, they certainly got up for Kakuta versus uh, Shuji Kondo, which was the main event of the show. Absolutely. So Madoka Kakuta advanced on defeating Shuji Kondo with a rolling lariat and I'm going to be the uh, big Kakuta and Kondo defender here. Uh, I I know you're high on this match. I think I might be a little higher on it. I think that that like now that I'm like walk, reading back through my notes, I'm looking at this. It's like no, I should have rated this match a quarter star higher just because of I thought this match was brilliant. I thought that Shuji Kondo in this match, the way that he worked it and the way he worked around Kakuta was fascinating. Yeah, I, it's funny you say that. I sort of had the same thought, and I, I gave it three and three quarters in the moment. And as I sit here, I go, eh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to like that just a little bit more. A match that has done well, you know, in the, the 24, 48 hours since I've watched it. Yeah, I'm four and a quarter, and I'm debating four and a half. Okay, all right. Yeah, you're, you're a little higher on it than I am. Yeah, and, and here is why I love the match, what I took out of it. Shuji Kondo did not want to eat a single lariat big shot from the cha- from the champion here he's a big boy he knows what big boys can do and he spent the entire match trying to negate that first on the outside and then trying to tear apart kakuda's shoulder and i think if you take a look at the tournament at large it makes the booking even smarter because now we have kakuda and shimizu as the one set semifinal. you have shimizu coming in being barreling over people finally having someone who gave them their best shot and you have kakuda who has had to have matches with Mochizuki, Yoshida, and then now uh, Kondo. He's had like the heaviest and the hardest hitting uh, uh, tournament to date. And this match, him getting through this match, I think it sets up a perfect way for Shimizu to beat him at Cork and on the third. Because, Because Kakuda is just beaten down. He's gone through war for three straight matches. And I felt like that this match kind of solidified that thought in me and i thought it was just brilliant i think that it is something that i think kakuda's matches have gotten a little bit of haven't gotten the love that they deserved it in the yoshida matches but because they aren't worked at like a they aren't work at dragon gate pace but they also are worked at true heavyweight pace because these are the true heavyweight guys on the roster and i think it it provides enough nice enough contrast especially when you add in that story with going off Madoka Kakuda finally going to have to fall because he's gone through just so much to get to the semifinals. Well, Kakuta is having the Dreamgate matches. He's having the matches the Dreamgate champion 
whether or not he has to have them or not is up for a debate, but we we've gone through 25 years of this, you know, he's now the top guy. And so he is going to have slower, more dramatic, more drawn out singles matches. That's just the reality of it. I know there's a great Kakuta versus Kondo match out there. That is eight minutes long worked like a G1 sprint. I mean, shit, one of Kakuta's first matches, it might've been like his fourth was an eight man tag uh, in Kobe Sambo hall. And it was, Kabune and Kamei and Kakuta and Sora Fujikawa versus a bunch of Torimon guys. And our big takeaway was, oh my God, Kakuta versus Kondo. What did they unlock there? Again, that was very early in his career. That was more of a sprint style match. This was not that. If you're looking for that, you will be disappointed. But this was, you know, like you said, just a smart, thoroughly worked, very entertaining match that you know should hopefully pay off by way of shimizu defeating kakuta and i i think you know and, and you know eventually landing shimizu at dreamgate shot but you have this match here much like shimizu versus asumu just incredibly hard hitting i mean the double lariat double down spot they did towards the end of this match i, I thought they caved in each other's chest it was just one where they hit each other seemingly as hard as they could they both fall and then very shortly after, Kakuta is able to rebound and finally take down Kondo with the Lariat for the win. It's just really enjoyable stuff here. Yeah, and it's something where I just find it really fascinating the way they've structured the term. If it plays out the way we're expecting, like I, I want to see Kakuta like at the end of this tournament, like walk into uh, Dangerous Gate at the end of August and already be taped up because he's. Because he's had the big boy schedule, essentially. Even without having a title defense, he has not had a very fun post-Kobe world with it. And I think that's I, I think that's fascinating, at least for me. Uh, any other thoughts on the King of Gate stuff in Kobe? Really good stuff here. Like I said, both matches, uh, well worth your time. Yep, and it continued into Gifu the next night. Uh, Yuki Yoshioka versus Kota Minora. Kota Minora gets the win over Yoshioka with the Golden Rose in its hometown to advance on. As we mentioned earlier, Minora faces the winner of Hyo and Dragon Daya that will happen on the 29th and Tsushima. This felt like a special match. You know, it really, uh, I don't know, something about this just clicked with me on a level. I, I, I sent you the, the show rundown today. I called it a hot summer night in Gifu because it was, you know, Yoshioka's hometown, Minora's hometown, packed building. I thought the building looked great on camera. What did you think? So I had an experience where the uh, I, I got frustrated with the, the way they split the show between YouTube and, uh, <laughs> and and the network where I watched like the two director's cut matches on the network. And then I was getting or the and then I was getting into the match with Kato and the camera's getting shaky. It's like, I'm just going to go to the uh, YouTube feed and the building is awesome. And we'll talk a little bit more about something I've noticed about the building when we get to the soccer match. That I, I'm interested to see if the director's cut version had that. But the crowd, the the nice thing about watching the YouTube, the handheld one was, and, and whatever corner that they were diagonally across the ring, there were these two huge dyed-in-the-wool Kota Minora fans who were oh, like awesome. freaking okay. out in the okay, closing stretch. Yeah, and, and the, the, well, when he kicked out of the frog splash... They lost it. It was phenomenal. Okay, that's that's great. I, I'm going to go back and watch the YouTube feed because I watched the network feed and I, I thought it was great. I, I should note 
because I'm watching on the network, I could see that it was Mochizuki Jr. who was shooting the ringside camera, which I really, I just, it's a fun little wrinkle, isn't it? I did not know that was Jr. Well, I'll to say this, as a former cinematographer myself, good work out there. Yeah, good yeah, yeah. <laughs> I saw him yeah. with a little, like, you know, small little handheld camera at the corner of the ring during the main event. I was like, oh, that's okay. Well, I, I know what he's doing. <laughs> Yeah, no, and it, it was funny, at least on the other side, he was getting whoever was the network person there for it at the same time, and it was just like, oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't know it was Junior. I didn't know they literally handed the, the phone or the camera around with that. That's No, uh, I, think it's, I think it's the rookies more often than not. I mean, I, I, I could be way off there, but I'm pretty sure it's, you know, Nagano and, and Daiki and Junior and, and those guys that are doing the, the YouTube uploads. At least not you know, uploading the videos, but shooting the videos. You know who I question about their camera work? They just don't seem like that they're the kind of guy to do that. Uh, I don't think Kaito Nagano is going to be the one I hand the camera to. Just, hmm. j- just, a, just a vibe with that. So, uh, I, I was actually. I'm going used... to let that simmer. I don't know what I, that. I don't know what you mean by that. I'm going to have to think about that for a long time now. I, I, I just think Kato, you know, he's sturdy. He's not going to shake the camera around. Uh, Are you Daiki. afraid Nagano's going to get blown over? He's a little guy. He is a little guy. Uh, I, I, I was actually saying all that to fill time, Case. Do you know that this was Kodama Noor's first ever uh, one-on-one victory against Yuki Oshioka? The, the, before this, they were they had six matches. Three of them were dark matches in 2019, 2018. Yoshioka won all of those uh, when... Uh, in 2019 on TV, Yoshioka won in KBS Hall. And then King of Gate Final last year, Yoshioka won. And of course, last year's uh, Kobe World Main Event with Yoshioka winning as well. So first singles victory for Minora in front of his hometown against Yuki Yoshioka. Yeah, it's awesome. You know, I we talked earlier about the bigger building in, in Gifu. And at the, at the very least, I, I hope this is a building that they can continue to, to fill and put on the calendar and, and have guys you know, ha- have this triple homecoming show. Cause this all, you know, it, I, this show felt like a big deal without the network upload. And then you mm-hmm. get all of a sudden this bonus content. And I was very wrapped up and like, Oh, Oh my God, a bonus full show. And the card looks good. You know, this is, this is a lot of fun. I mean, it, you know, I think about, you know, Jay praised this show openly on Twitter and he, he's not exactly, he doesn't share his opinions on the company a lot outside of this podcast and what he says on commentary, but you know, he went out of his way to put over this show, and I would like to think it's largely because of the main event, which was a Dreamgate-style epic. I mean, this was, what, 20 minutes, I, I think, was the, the official runtime here, main event of this show. I had it 2104. Yeah, 2104. Uh, Golden Rose puts Yoshioka away. I went four and a quarter stars on it. Same. Uh, the, the big takeaway for me was there's a, a mist frog splash by Yoshioka about 15 minutes into the match that Minora gets his feet up on. He counters the frog splash, and it is one of the gnarlier bumps I've ever seen Yoshioka specifically take. It was very violent. I like that about Minora right now. There, There is sort of an... You want to think about it with the way that he looks, with the way that you know his gimmick is presented. You wouldn't think there's like an aura of violence with Minora, but there kind of is. Yeah, it, it, if you would just take that dumb elbow out of his moveset. I, yeah, because I, he's got the knee. The the jumbo knee. He's the best person to throw a running knee literally since Jumbo Saruta. That should be the strike that he throws. Yeah, not a dumb, my elbow's pointing out thing. 
Like, I'm sorry. Like, like you're in a company that already has guys throwing elbows in Europeans. Uh, the knee is different. Go with the knee. Very much so. But it's a match that I thought these guys knocked out of the park. Special atmosphere for it. And that's coming through the network feed. I would imagine the YouTube feed, the crowd comes through even a little bit more. But, you know, 600 fans in this building, super no vacancy. Uh, I, I love the way the building was set up on camera. They get very into it by the end of things. This is just, you know, in the the monotony of watching every Dragon Gate show and covering this promotion and, you know, trying to remember in December, you know, this great match from February, this great match from May. This is a promotion that's constantly filled with greatness. Sometimes those things blur together. This show, and specifically this main event, this will stand out by the end of the year. I will remember this show for a very long time. Yeah, no, there was so much fun on the show. So, so let's talk all about the hot night they had in Gifu. I, case, I, I, I know that on the run sheet we're gonna talk. We're, we're gonna touch on a bunch of stuff here. What did you think of this Daya Kakuda versus Jason and Jack tag team match earlier on? It was on? great. It was great. I was a, I was notebook on it. I thought this. Was, I have big match Jack written down here because yet again you put him in a in a scenario there. With him and Kakuda, and gosh, the, the the driver that Kakuda hits to win this match, it's like a modified over-the-shoulder pump handle gimmick, was brutal. It was just something like that with that match, and even a fun opener, uh, Gold Class versus Natural Vibes. Even before we got to the highlighted stuff, it was all really solid in Gifu. Yeah, I, I would hope at some point we find a way to sort of parlay this decourage vibes and specifically the pairing of, you know, Jason and Jackie versus whoever. And in Ray de Parejas, it was Kakuta and Yoshioka. And then they just had that rematch a few weeks ago. And then they, here they do Kakuta and Daya versus uh, Jason and Jackie. Let's get this for a title at some point, because they've, they've only put this on the smaller shows and all three of them have really delivered that Ray Day Parejas match, which was a YouTube upload, was one of the best matches of the entire tournament. And this was oh, one yeah. here where, you know, it wasn't on the YouTube upload. It was only the last three matches that were put up there. So I, you know, I thought it looked good on paper, but I assume we never see it. And then it popped up and it, it kicked ass. Yeah, absolutely. So, Kamei's, uh, I mean, I, I, we don't need to rehash this right now because we've kind of had this conversation a bunch. Kamei is, you know, far from having the most quote unquote great matches in Dragon Gate this year, but man, show to show, there's just not a lot of guys better. He has a legit most outstanding case. I, I wouldn't go that far. I, I would say. Like, I almost put him in the class of he's like the best TV wrestler this year, not named Orange Cassidy. Well, let me put it this way to you. Let's look at his tag team partner. Yes, Jason had his Brave Gate run. But do you think, like, in ring that Jason's having the year that Jax had? I don't know. No, because this is, you know, Jason's been great, but this is weirdly like, I don't want to say a down year for Jason, but... He's had better years. Right. It, it, it's just something that I think this year with like most outstanding, like I feel like that there is something where it's very easy to give it to the MVP. And in a lot of years of Dragon Gate, that often does. I just think that not even like a, he should be the most outstanding, but it, he's probably going to be my number three and I'm not going to be embarrassed about it. Well, okay. Let's, let's have this conversation now. Let's talk about the Konomami Chikawa homecoming match. 
uh, real quick. Oh my god, it, yes. <laughs> it, it, it relates to this because it was Hyo, Ishin, Kai, and Shun Skywalker versus Don Fuji, Dragon Kid, Konamami Chikawa, and Yamato. And I, I will I will give you the runway to talk about Ichikawa in a second. But to me, this was one of the elite Shun Skywalker performances ever. This was incredible. He was so, you know, everybody beats up on Konamami Chikawa. Shun Skywalker put his own wrinkle on it, and it was incredible. Yeah, no, that was the thing about this one. So uh, this is something where you need to go see the YouTube upload case. I, I watched look. this one. I watched the first two matches on YouTube. I actually just, okay. when, when I was watching the YouTube upload, I had to stop before the main event. And then by the time I came back to it, the main event was on the network. I see. Uh, did you notice that this was a backstage sellout as well? And to uh, it was something that I meant to reach out and ask about this kind of thing. But I don't remember a time where you look every single spot where it looked like it's kind of backstage. There were roster members there. Dragon Daya was losing his mind cracking up at this match. I mean, think about it. If if you were, you know, taking a, a vacation to Japan and you look at the upcoming calendar, I think you and I are both of the same mindset where we'd like to see uh, the Konami Chikawa homecoming show. Yeah, well, that, that looks interesting. Then you look at the match and you go, oh, yeah, that looks really interesting. And it was. I mean, this was... I, God damn, I almost went notebook on this too. I was at three and three quarters, and I, I, Shun was so violent with Ichikawa in a way that wasn't upsetting, which is always the fine line. You know, you never really want to see yeah. anybody get mauled like a bear here. But there's a spot pretty early in the match where Shun throws Ichikawa into the ropes like it would be an Irish whip, but he throws him so hard that Ichikawa, like, bounces off the ropes the way you would bounce off of a concrete wall. Like, he kind of splat, splat, splatted against the ropes. Yeah. And I, I, I was like, holy shit, this is something else. Like, that is such a crazy... I've never seen that before. I've never really seen that bump. And there was just a lot of stuff like that throughout the match. It really... It made me look at the world at large, and this is another year, and I don't think anybody's wrong for saying this, where, you know, Will Ospreay is, you know, if not the best wrestler in the world in the top three. I am famously not as high on John Moxley as others, but Moxley's been great this year. Omega's been great this year. Uh, Shingo has had a very good year. Uh, there's there's a lot of things to like in wrestling this year. I, you know, uh, Mystico is obviously a guy that's being talked about for Flair Threz, Flair Thez. I love Mystico's in-ring work. I don't know how hot takey that is, but every Friday show main event, I'm like, well, that's a four and a quarter star six, man. Like, that was fucking incredible, and it was because of Mystico. So there's a lot of guys out there that have had good years. We might be in a situation, just like in 2022, where come December, Shun Skywalker is the best wrestler in the world, not named Will Ospreay. And it's, you know, he's had a great year before that, but this is another one of those things. This match, I will remember by the end of the year. This was a different kind of Shun Skywalker performance, and I found it to be almost sickeningly engaging. And it, it's something where this performance had levels. It wasn't just him just not caring about Konamawa Ichikawa's well-being and just throwing him up against the ropes as if it was a wall. It was little things that he did later on into the match where he was like, okay... I this is in hand now. I have a little fun with it. Where 
did did you notice how he handled the uh so Komao Ichikawa does his standard rope walk spot where he has someone else's arm and he walks across the ropes, usually goes back and forth. This time Shun Skywalker was the one intercepting it, and instead of just doing the big rope shake, he started off as softly as possible and then eventually like worked himself up to it. It was about like twenty seconds of ropes uh rope shaking that 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 he did, or at least it felt like it, and I was howling at it. it like he had this man has levels yeah it's really what, what did you throw a star rating on this what do you give this four and a quarter fuck it i'm putting i'm, I'm four i'm putting do this it. on the spreadsheet i'm putting this I, on the spreadsheet a live spreadsheet updated on open the voice gate you you, you, you ought to uh this this match right now is my prohibitive number 10 match of the year and i don't know anything that's going to surpass that into the very special number 10 spot it is that's, that kind that's of very on, that's I, I mean it's in a, in a in a compliment that's very on brand for you i that would not surprise me at all i mean stalker chikawa is my 69th best wrestler of all time <laughs> yes he is <laughs> yes he is but it's it, it, and it like the thing about skywalker in this match and they, they play through all of the Ichikawa hits. He takes it seriously. He gets a he gets a deep Ina Bauer German tease on Hyo. But then you have this into the finish where Shun Skywalker at that point was just so far over it where he does the setup, the pump handle for the SSW, spins him around like five times. As, and I was like, oh, he's going to crater him. He's going to die. This is how Konamao Ichikawa finally has taken off this plane of existence. And then no, he just sets him down right next to the rope for a second rope top, a uh, second rope sent off from Hio for the finish. It was perfect. It, w- it was ag- exactly what it needed to be. Yeah, really. Just I-, I think it's one of those matches. I hope people that enjoy the comedy of each cowl on the big shows, and you know they see him going against the legends, and they see him going against Don Fuji, and you know they're they're used to the rhythm of his matches, which are all excellent. I hope they watch this. I, I hope they they really get a kick out of what they did here because I thought this was a, a pretty special match. Absolutely. And that was after the return of Yoshiki Kato in match three. Uh, Kato out with eye surgery and recovering from that. Uh, he teamed with Mondai Ryu and Ginki Horiguchi against Masaki Mochizuki, Susumu Mochizuki, and Azushi Kondo. And boy... Getting Kato back was a fresh was a breath of air. I know how you were talking about with uh, missing Nagano. I miss Kato because things change when that guy's there. He's got new gear. He was given a pretty lengthy introduction by Genki Horiguchi in a promo segment before the match. Uh, it look every time Kato's been around, he's been presented as a very big deal, and this was no different. You know, to me. He did look like a guy that hasn't wrestled in five months, but I expect that rust to be off sooner rather than later. And, you know, given his size, given his strength, given his ability, even though he's certainly not a finished product yet, you, every time you watch him, you have to go, all right, when's, when's he going to break out? When, when are they going to do something with him? You know, it really, I hope they don't abandon the the Nagano Kato team. They really seem to have something there. And post Ray Day Parejas, is when Kato got hurt. So we never saw it beyond that tournament. I would like to see them go back to that for a little bit. And it, it's something with Kato where he was such a unique like presence with as the rookie who was getting pens he should not be getting from before his debut and getting finishes there that 
having putting Mochizuki up for his modified blood f- fall and torture rack and going for it for a second time. And that was the moment that Mochizuki was like, no, I'm done with this guy. It, it, it really gave me a moment of, oh, sooner rather than later, Yoshiki Kato is going to get a huge win and I'm not going to be surprised. Yeah, even, you know, at this point in his career, less than a year after his debut and with a bunch of months missed due to injury, he's just, he's a different wrestler. You know, he he will and quite frankly should be treated differently. And I'm still, I don't know if holding out hope is the right word, but I have earmarked, you know, some sort of deal between Kato and, and Takuma Nishikawa, who's still over in Mexico. I, I think that's going to be, you know, a future heavyweight program. Yeah, it's something where, like, I, I'm just now kind of putting it together. I was talking about how Kakuda faced all the heavyweights there. And then you add in Kato, you have Nishikawa, who probably won't be ever towards the uh, Brave Gate reign. I, it just, I don't think that guy can get 282 kilos. No, I think he's too big. Yeah, they're starting to put together a little bit of a big boys division, a little bit. Yeah, they are. Yeah, they, they are. It, it's nice to see. You know, that that was kind of my thought was, okay, you know, you've got Kato back. You've got Nagano back. Junior's there. Daiki's there. Okay, all right. All, you know, now you've got Tanaka coming into his own, and I know you want to talk about Tanaka and Kobe. Let's do that right here. You've got, all of a sudden, you got five youngsters again. You know, we we see this in Dragon Gate. We see this pattern that is jarring. You know, it, it's almost like motion sickness and roster movement. You know, it's happened a few different times now. We're overloaded with rookies. They get hurt. They leave. They retire. Whatever happens, all of a sudden we have no young guys. And then, oh wait, hold on. We're back to having five rookies on the roster now. It's it's exciting. Yeah, and one of those rookies, Ryoya Tanaka. The only thing worth seeing on the Kobe Art Center undercard. You actually can just watch this on YouTube. It was the first match on the show. It was the complete complement of Gold Class versus Yuki Yoshioka. And then he got teamed with the, with the rookies, uh, Kaito Nagano, Ryoya Tanaka, and Ryu Fuda. And this match was all about Tanaka. And Tanaka took most of it, like to an extent that I don't remember Nagano other than his no-touch head scissors in this match. But Tanaka in this, this was a match I've been kind of been waiting for, for Tanaka, a match where he would get the focus and you kind of get a better sense of, all right, this is what we kind of get out of him. This is how he sells. This is like this, because even though he's been a rookie and he's been in those situations, it's been a lot of like two minutes in a match, three minutes in a match. The entire match here was about him. And I have to say Tanaka really made that step forward with it. Uh, you got the, and the, the day before Gifu. So you had a little bit of a preview of Yuki and Minora here, but I thought this was Tanaka's step forward, especially he was there with with BB Hulk and they were doing the opening chop thing. And it was the first time since Hulk started putting on that T-shirt that you could hear the chops as if he was bare chested. Like Tanaka has a hell of hands on him. I'm waiting for a real breakout performance in Tokyo. I think that's kind of the next step in his evolution as a Corkin match where, where people go, wait, who, who's this? And then, you know, then it gets gift by the right people. And all of a sudden Tanaka is a guy that people have to pay attention to. That is, that is sort of next on the Drangate rookie checklist is good match in Corkin hall. Yeah. Because I, I, he already has a very crisp, uh, moonsault press. He'll have things and he is the one that they, that wants to be a flyer. So, I don't know if he's going to be able to do Space World or something like that, but they're going to give him enough opportunity. But I wanted to make sure that we touched on Nagano there. And 
it, we talk about all, all those rookies and Ryu Fuda was right in the that's right that's right food Fu- is in the mix too and i you look, you look my, re- my my review of the Rio fuda match much like every other match he's had this year i leave going god i like that guy oh i could do something with him i that there's potential there whether drangi wants to admit it or not yeah no it's it was just one of those things that it's like oh yeah Rio fuda still really really good we'll we'll we still hold out hope for him but Dragon Gate this week, and it is we're coming towards the end of the month. Uh, they have a show in Tsushima and a show in Kudamatsu. We have the card out for for Tsushima. This is the this is the show that has the remaining quarterfinal match: Dragon Daya versus Hio. Case I'm going to run through the remainder of the card, and then we can talk about Daya and Hyo. Yeah, Hyo. yeah, I haven't seen here. the card, so go ahead. All right, in the opener, we have Natural Vibes. Uh, Versus Zebras, Shimizu, Jason, Jack versus Shun, Kai, and Ishin. Benkei and Yoshiki Kato versus Takashi Yoshida and Ryoya Tanaka is match two. Dragon Boy, Kid well, and well, well, One of those things is not like the other three. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why is Yoshida in that match? Good lord. Oh, I thought you were talking about Big Boys and, and Tanaka. Tanaka's no, like the one no, no, guy. No. I was like, oh, Ben and Kata, that's super fun. Who's who's this young, spry rookie Tanaka teaming with? Oh, Takashi Yoshida. Okay, that's a bummer. That's not what I wanted to hear. Well, he's back at Howling, so at least we have that to look forward to. Oh, thank God. All right, sorry to cut you off. What's the third yeah. match on this show? Yeah, yeah, sadly or... Or, or happily in case's case that match probably will not be making you too but it, it's dragon kid and ginky versus punch and ho-ho loon i i, <laughs> well, do you, I do you think that's making youtube <laughs> i mean i was thinking that it would be in, until i read the match itself now now i think uh binke and kato got a pretty damn good chance don't you yeah yeah i yeah. do and, and then the semi-main event we have gold class kota Minor, bb hulk and minorita versus m3k susumu mochizuki azushi kanda Mochizuki Jr. and Match 5, uh, Madoka Kakuda and Yuki Yoshioka versus KZ and UT. And then the main event, Dragon Daya versus Hyo. Winner goes on to face Kota Minora on the left half finals at Corken Hall to decide the King of Gate. So interesting show. Now that I'm like really looking at this card, they have a lot of options to pull those three matches. I'm just hoping Match 3 is not involved whatsoever. Yeah, the semi-main Kakuta and Yoshioka versus KZ and UT. That's a cool-looking match. I don't, I don't feel like we've really seen that combination of guys before in a tag. So I would, I would like to see that air. And then you obviously have Daya versus Hyo here. The winner of that is going to wrestle Coach Minora in the semifinals of King of Gate. I, I would assume no matter who it is, they lose to Minora. We're just now in an interesting position where you you have to figure out what you want to do with that semifinal match. You know, do you want Hyo there, somebody who we've seen in, in positions like this before with a chance to get a lot of heat on Minora, or do you want Daya there with Minora working the edge over Daya? To me personally, before I kick it back to you, giving the assumption that Shimizu's in the main event, I well, hmm. Is Shimizu a babyface or a heel in this tournament? Let me ask you that first. I think that he has the role that the rest of Natural Vibes have, that they are right below Decourage in the in the face-to-heel pecking order. So face, unless he's facing off against Kakuda, he'll be he'll be considered heel in Korokin for that match. But I, I would assume that against either 
well, against Minora, he would be the face, and Daya would be the heel. Uh, Hyo, obviously, he would be the face. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm trying to think of what I want for Minora now. If I want Minora working heel against Daya, and then by proxy, I guess he would be heel against Shimizu. I think I think Daya's winning. I, I think they're telling something bigger here with Yo. You, you you've got the possibility that Diamante's back on this show. I would I would then assume that Hyo is saddled with Zebrats to do something there rather than off in a singles match against Minora. So I think it's gonna be Daya and Minora and uh Kakuta and Shimizu in the semifinals, which is exciting because people can go into the building thinking they might get D-Courage versus D-Courage, and then I think we'll end up getting neither of that. We'll get Shimizu versus Minora instead. Yeah, I, I I think I'm leaning towards that. And really, like the the X factor in determining this is if Luis Mesa is there, right? Because if it's not Luis Mesa, then I think you really might be tempted and having Hyo beat Dragon Daya and just get the heat onto Minora. Yeah, I it just I, that it, the you know look we we love Hyo. This has always 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 been a pro Hyo podcast. I just feel like we've been there with that. You know, you go back to 2021 and Hyo did what in KMK? He just knocked out a bunch of people. He didn't go very far, but he knocked no, out. No, that, that was the uh, the introduction of the giant brain, the great brain. Yeah, so he, did a, he did a double count out with Yamato. That was the big deal there. And King of Gate 2020, he didn't do anything of note, I don't believe. No, it was out in the first round. So, yeah, but, you know, I don't know. I'm I'm a little wary of Hill in the semifinals. That would just be kind of like, well, we know he's not going to win. So what are what yeah. are we doing here? Yeah, yeah. There is that, and then the specter of Hyo, Even though he is class 2016, he's not even sniffed a main event unless it was an entire unit versus unit thing. That do you really want to try to have your walk up business hinge on how people feel about Hyo? I don't know. Not in 2023 and 2021, maybe, but not, not right. this year. Yeah. But it's an interesting scenario there. Like I, I, I it, it is something where I was pretty set on the other three quarter finalists. Like I've like they had to do Kakuda versus Shimizu. Shimizu had to get there. And then as soon as it was very apparent that it was a Yuki Yoshioka and Kota Minora match in the offering, I was like, well, all right, Yoshioka, uh, he's won every. He's. It feels like he's won every match against Minora. It's a good idea to have Minora win here. This is the quarterfinals that I sit at, and we've talked both sides of it. And I'm still like, I I think I would still go with Daya, like you are, but maybe that there is that there is the argument there. That I mean, for Hio, him getting to the semifinals is like a career <laughs> high watermark in a lot of ways, and there might be a attempt temptation to do that knowing that there's a bigger overline storyline happening where uh shimizu can beat both kakuda and yoshi and, and minora in one night and then in one tournament he's taken out half of the reiwa six yeah it'll be interesting to see you know we'll be back next tuesday with a a full semi-finals and a a way to predict the finals hopefully we'll have the full cork and card by then as well so i'm going with daya it sounds like you are leaning a little bit closer to hyo 
I, I I'm still Daya, but it is a sixty forty. Yeah, yeah, more, more of a coin toss for you. I, I've kind of chalked myself into Daya here. So that that is very much the uh, the quarterfinal here that is undetermined and with more intrigue than I would say any of the other match results. Yep, I would definitely say that as well. Uh, they announced the network of uh, the Dragon Gate Network schedule for August this week. Uh, actually, today uh, we already knew that on Thursday we on Thursday the third we had Cork and Hall on the network. But as well, we are getting uh, two shows at Across Fukuoka, Dangerous Gate, of course, on the twentieth, Kobe Sambo Hall, and we were wrong last month. We thought that Nara got skipped over. Uh, Nara uh, has been in August for several years, and it's returning on the 27th on the network. It'll be interesting, though, to see if this is going to be the last Nara televised uh, network show. I could see that happening. It's all relying on if Nuriki Doi resigns. Yeah, it's Doi's homecoming show. Traditionally, you know, everybody on the Dragon Gate roster has a homecoming show. They used to make a big deal out of Shingo's. They've always made a big deal out of Doi's and Nagoya kind of comes and goes depending on who is on the roster. So uh, that that's a big show for Dragon Gate. That's a big show for Doi. Obviously, his freelancer contract is a one-year deal. That should be expiring either at the end of August or end of September. One of those dates will kind of know about Doi's future more so in the next month or so. So a very exciting August schedule. And that is not the only thing that is on the Dragon Gate network right now, Mike. Yeah, that's right. I... Yeah. I completely missed this. Uh, I think it did it go up today or yesterday. It, it, it went up today. All right. So I completely missed this. But uh, the uh, first upload of Torimon X is now on the Dragon Gate Network. We have officially reached 2003. Yes, this is actually, this is something else. This is a Gaiora Wrestling Museum upload. That is essentially really? best of Torimon X. Yeah, the, the network, we're, we're about halfway through 03 on the Torimon archives, which is one of those things I kind of wish Dragon Gate would mention that we almost have the entire Torimon archive in the Dragon Gate network at this point. But this and, is. And you'll have it by your 25th anniversary year. Yes. This is a Gaior Wrestling Museum upload. For those that don't know what that is, because again, Dragon Gate Network, I know things are a little confusing. This is they're equivalent to the old wwe network hidden gems section the things that are in here uh, the very first Torimon mexico show which includes ultimo versus negro casas which i had never ever seen other than short little clips prior to this upload that's in there the first ever Kobe World Uncut is in here. That's from 99. That had never been seen until this year. There's a random Best of Dangerous Gate 2012 to 2016 upload. I don't know why that is in this as well. And now there is this Toriumon Best Selection 1 Toriumon X Special that is a part of the Gaiora Wrestling Museum. And, I, you know, I'll, I'll throw it to you for just a second because Toriumon X has always been my biggest blind spot in the dragon system, unless you want to count like El Dorado and Dragon Door and the offshoots. But this is, you know, this is Torimon proper. This is during the time of Torimon Japan and the tail end of T2P and Ultimo Dragon, still very much in the promotion with Shima and with Magnum and with Milano. Explain just briefly the concept of Torimon X to the listeners, if you wouldn't mind. So each of the three classes 
or grades. Uh, it doesn't necessarily translate well. But the three groupings of Torimon Japan, Torimon 2000 Project, and Torimon X featured certain aspects of Lucha Libre. It really, Torimon Japan was more of a proof of concept style. Like this was the ring style that would inhabit uh, the Dragon System for the next 25 years. Here, here it is here. But in T2P and in Torimon X, which if you look at the time span of this era, talking about 97 to do, until 2004, it is, that's a long, seven years is a long period of time, especially when you consider the amount of wrestlers that came through uh Nakapon and and even before making it to Nakapon people that were being trained in Japan before that trip so the, there was need to differentiate and especially with the idea of that it was always a student promotion at its at it that you always had new people coming in so you wanted to set them apart Torimon 2000 project of course famously had the six-sided ring and an emphasis on the Yave style of Mexican professional wrestling Whereas Torimon X was called Lucha Libre Classica, and it was supposed to harken more back towards like Toreo and UWA and those kinds of promotions with it. But in reality, what it became was a, a lot of uh, a, a lot of homages to other Torimon acts, especially with uh, Mini Crazy Max. And then also just ploys at anything with the Sailor Boys and Los Carros Exoticos basically to get a response. Yeah, so that that is the the focus of this upload are, are, are the two units you mentioned there. Real quick, uh, because I think you could do it better than I can. If for somebody that's never seen the Sailor Boys, what could they expect if they watch this? An idol group. Just yes. In, Ta- in Ta- two words. Taiji Ishimori... And the men that became the Brahmin brothers doing an idol slash boy band group. Yeah, basically more being a straight homage of the Western boy bands of the late 90s and early 2000s. Their big deal is that they all wore overalls. Yes, and it is not charming like when an attractive woman does it. So uh, the, the Torimon X upload, let me talk about this just for a second. I watched this all today. It's It's just about two hours of wrestling. I had it on while I was doing some work. It was... Uh, the, the the idea of it was enjoyable so the upload goes through what i think is the second torimon mexico show with the with the tx guys it's the yamaha cup which was a tag team tournament where the winners got yamaha scooters they go through the yep. semifinals and the finals of that then after that you will see the opening ceremony for the Torimon X Japanese landing which was not in Corken Hall like Torimon or, or T2P but rather in Differ Ariake a smaller building more intimate there you go through the opening ceremonies of that and then you have uh, a match from that show oddly enough Mike not the main event but rather I wonder the, why well <laughs> the uh the Awasa <laughs> and Mishima versus Kenichiro Rai and Koshiro Rai, which is uh, now Toro Nohashi. It's that match from the first show. Um, and then... Which was kind of the best match on that show. <laughs> yes, yeah. No, it's, it's actually... That that one is pretty enjoyable. And then... Yeah. That was, so that was August of 2003. The next Toriyamon X show in Japan is January 25th, 2004. And that is when you get the main players. That is a six-man tag. Sailor Boys versus... Remind me of the other unit's name. 
Oh, that's Los Salsos Hapanesis. Uh, so when I was talking about units, this was the one I forgot. They were supposed to be the heel foils to the Sailor Boys. They were salsa enthusiasts. Uh, we, we've talked about Mango Fukuda when we remembered some guys' case. Yes. But it, it was something that they were supposed to be the heels. They were supposed to be the Rudos of this. However, Sailor Boys fell flatter than flat at the debut show, and the Japanese audience liked uh, Los Salceros Hapanesis, and they became the faces of the promotion. Yes, so that is uh, Mango Fukuda, otherwise known as Bear Fukuda. That is uh, Takashi Minamino, who became Happy Man, and then uh, Pineapple Hanai, who became Ken45. Ken- Yep, that was, we did not talk about uh, Mango Fukuda. We remember Pineapple Hanai. Yes. Um, so there's a six man there from 2004. And look, everybody, I, this will sound odd. Everybody should watch this upload. Because if you've ever wanted to know why Toriumon X failed, you can find out in two hours. Oh my God, this match is so dry. It is so long. It is painful. And then, like you said, the match ends. I think Fukuda's the one that gets the pin. So they're doing their thing in the ring afterwards. And then the Sailor Boys come in, beat them down, and sing their song. And it dies a death. It is just, it it is the Coach Minora 2022 debacle on steroids. It is so bad and so painful. And then you have... Uh, the final match on the show, or on the upload rather, is Ishimori versus Minamino for the UWA World Welterweight Championship because Taiji Ishimori was the the air quotes ace of this promotion. In the same way that T2P was a vehicle largely to get Milano Collection AT over, which succeeded, Toriumon X was a ve- vehicle to get Taiji Ishimori over, which did not. And, and the last match is, I mean, it's fine. You know, Ishimori nearly kills himself on a dive to the floor in the opening minutes of it. That was probably the most interesting thing that happened this upload made me not want to watch wrestling again mike i was so grumpy after i sat through two hours of toriumon x i would recommend it for the historical purposes but don't expect good wrestling yeah and it's very notable that so the other thing about toriumon x like if you wonder why we're all not like we're going like okay this went up uh there were only really four toriumon x shows in japan it was something that the landing in Japan was in August of 2003. And even like this, they did not even try to bring Tormon X into 2004. And at that time, at least from the story that we've been told uh, 20 years later, by that time, the split was already underway and it was more desperate. I mean, to the point that they only ran Corkin once, Tormon X final. And just because... This is what we do here, Case. I'm going to run down this show for you. Yeah, and that, that, it's, a, it's a show based far more around Ultimo Dragon and what he was doing at the time than Torimon X itself. Yeah, and this tells you a whole lot on that. You, you have that tape there that's basically pieced together. You have some Mexico stuff there, but it's basically the lowlights and even saying lowlights is not necessarily giving it credit. This was the last show that they that Torimon X ran. This was in September of 2004. So this is post split. This is post split. This is very quickly Torimon X uh would re kind of establish itself as Dragon Door. That's a story that 
I'm going to that, that I would love to get into on a different program. That, that there there's a lot about uh Dragon Door that I feel like has been forgotten to this day. But the card of the Tormon X final, nine man tag team elimination match. Los Alceros Hapanesis, Fakuda, Hanai, and Minamino defeat Mini Crazy Max, Mini Shima, Sugi, Small Dandy Fuji, forgetting who Small Dandy Fuji was off the top of my head, and then Suicito Kakatora, along with Los Caros Exoticos, Gallardo, Lambo Mura, and Murciago. UWA World Welterweight three way elimination match. Takashi Menamino defeats Mango Fukuda and Pineapple Hanai. Yes, they teamed and won the match right before that case. Uh, singles match, Shinjitsu Nohashi beats Man- Manabu Murakami in four minutes. Two-on-one handicap match, King Ali Baba defeats Karaoke Machine two and three. Semi-main event, and this really, when Case was saying what's Ultimo up to, well, in 2004, it's getting all the friends he can possible to bail him out, as it was 2004 again. Hiroshi Tanahashi, Kazuhayashi, and Yuji Nagata defeat Manabu Nakanishi, Minoru Suzuki, and Ultimo Dragon. And the main event was for the UWA World Trios match, Vacant. Vacant. So the belt was just hanging around during this. Uh, Gato, Jado, and Katsushi Takamura defeat the Sailor Boys. What was this show? Uh, that was an elongated way of saying it was a bad show. In a lot of different ways, though, okay? Yeah. So th- I had yeah. to explain No, why. no, you did nothing wrong. It was just, it was, a, it was a lot of time to get there to say this show sucked, <laughs> which, yeah. but you have yeah. to go through it. <laughs> you, you have to go through it. You, and very few people, like, you don't know if you're going to be on an episode of Five Star Match Game, and uh, Joe Gagne is asking you what was the semi-main event, uh, name the six people in the semi-main event of the last Horimon X show, and you're going to want to know that it was actually really a new Japan, all Japan offer match. Yeah. Yeah. That is, I, I look, it's, it, it's the biggest, I, I, it's the, I mean, it's probably the biggest failure of anything linked to the Torimon name, you know, the, the, yeah, let, let me, let, let me, let me sum it up this way. This will be my last thought on it. The biggest moment for Torimon X was Taiji Ishimori wrestling on the wrestle one show. Yeah, it yeah was not the- not Russell One Muto's Russell One, but the Russell One uh, from two thousand three that tried to put together Hogan versus Takayama. Yeah, it's not a a uh, great time in the history of the Dragon System. I honestly, I wonder what Lambo Mura has been up to. Uh, has been a freelancer. Uh, last match twenty fourteen in Michinoku Pro. I, I wish him the best. <laughs> so do I. Uh, but I think that's going to do it this week on Open the Voice Gate case, unless you have anything else before we get out of here. Look, I really recommend, if you if you haven't checked in on the promotion, watch the King of Gate stuff from this weekend. You know, Shimizu Susumu, Kakuta Kondo, and then uh, Minora versus Yoshioka and the Ichikawa match from Gifu. Spend time with that. Watch it. Devour it. It's really good stuff. And if you have anything left in the tank, Go watch that Torimon X upload because I think, you know, I, I, there will be a time and place where I have more time in my life to where we can sit down and watch all of the Torimon X footage and get really oh, yeah. granular about it. I don't have time for that right now. And quite frankly, after that two hour upload, I need a little bit of a break. I will talk to you in about four <laughs> years on Torimon X. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, I don't blame you with that whatsoever. But that's going to do it. 
for this week on Open the Voice Gate. Thanks for everyone for stopping by. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. Cases that underscore in your case. I'm at Fujiheya. I did an episode of Music of the Mat this last weekend that came out today on Tuesday uh, about Ultimo Dragon and Case. Before we get out of here, I have become a huge Luis Miguel fan because of Ultimo Dragon. Uh, my invite for music of the Mac continues to get lost in the mail, but I will I will be sure to give that episode a listen. Hey, uh, Luis Miguel, do you know that he as, is... As you were saying, sorry. As I was saying... I don't have it. This, you know, what, what's the deal, uh, Andrew? Well, 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 why is Case being left out? But, I, yeah, only, no. I only work in the fucking radio industry. I, you know, but I, I, love, <laughs> I, to be clear, I love Andrew Lynch. I'm only, I'm only kidding. I'd, I would love to be on the show, but I'm only kidding. Well, Case, okay, so I, I was trying to say that. I think I'm going to go scalp a ticket for Luis Miguel in Dallas. That, that, that's, what, that's what I wanted to get to. Ultimo has, has created this love in me. Uh, is, he, is, he coming, is he coming soon? Oh, yeah. He's doing a world tour, man. Okay, well, check your Twitter mentions. I think I just got you comp to a wrestling show, and then you can use the leftover money to go see Luis Miguel. There we go. We've got that there. But that's going to do it this week. We'll be back with you next week talking about the show in Tsushima and looking ahead to the end of King of Gate 2023. Take care, everyone. Bye. Hi, I'm Case Lowe, co-host of the Open the Voice Gate podcast. The one question I'm constantly asked when it comes to Dragon Gate is how do I get into the promotion? Well, stop asking and start listening to the Open the Voice Gate podcast released every Wednesday on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. For exclusive news and show reviews, look no further than the leader in Dragon Gate coverage, Open the Voice Gate.